Good morning. I'm Kevin, and uh, I'm really excited today. I'm excited to open the Word of God with you. The reason I'm excited about that is because the Word of God is life-giving. My words are weak. Um, Yours are. Our wisdom is not adequate, and we need the Word of God uh, to speak to us today and to show us Jesus. And I'm excited to be uh, the one to get to do that with you this morning. Have you ever walked up on a couple of people while they're having an argument? It's awkward, isn't it? It usually happens like this. There are a couple of people, uh, maybe you know them, maybe, maybe it's a couple of friends of yours, and they're, and they're kind of at a, at a safe distance. You see them talking, and you think, I'm going to go over there and talk to them. So you just, you just walk on over there, you know, like the lamb to the slaughter. You're naive. You don't know what's going on. But as you approach them, you realize through the body language and expressions that they're having words. And you can tell because everybody has their, their, their conflict, confrontation, body language, right? Some people, it's the eyebrows or the tilting of the head. That's how you know they're serious. They're fine, but if they do the eyebrow thing, watch out. Or some people look over their glasses. Now, let me tell you a thing. Some people put their hands on their hips. Some people are at an angle. Some people square up. Do weird things with their feet, tap, weird things. We all have our own. And so you walk up on this, and by, by the time you get to it and realize this is, they're having an argument, it's too late. You're like, whoa, you know. So, but you don't want any part of that. You want to get away. You want to run, right? Because you don't want to get drawn in or pulled into this thing. So you, so you kind of act like you did. Oh, no, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't walking toward you. I was walking around you. You were in the way. Or, oh, there's that pen I was looking for. You know, you pick it up and you kind of act like, yeah, see you guys later. Act like you didn't see anything. It's always awkward, isn't it? But a little part of you, if you're honest, kind of wants to go off to the side and watch it. Watch it go down. Because now you're curious. You want to know what's going on. What are they fighting about? They're fussing. You want to hear it. So maybe you walk back by again, like, I'm, you know, I'm just mopping here. Don't mind me. You know, you kind of, you're sort of listening, trying to get clues so that you know what's going on. It's that morbid curiosity of ours. This happened to me at the Kansas City Airport um, last week. We went to visit family, and on the way back, we had a layover in, in that airport there. And, of course, this is Kansas City, so the airport smells like uh, this barbecue place called Pork and Pickle. So imagine an airport smelling like uh, smoked, slow-smoked pork, okay? So anyway, we're sitting there, and this, uh, the, there's a custodian having a, a pretty, uh, you know, sharp pointed argument with his supervisor. And they're, hey, it's kind of loud. You can, it's starting to escalate, you know? It's sort of, you can tell they're sort of like talked. When people start arguing, then they don't want other people to hear. They stop moving their lips. But their voice gets louder, you know? And this was happening. But then they abandon that. And before you know it, voices elevate. The volume of voices elevate. And at one point, it was so weird. Uh, she... Uh, you know, did he clean the toilet? Did he not? Did he, I don't know. It, they were outside the bathroom, right? He, he, at one point, she pulls out her phone. She has evidence on it. You know, she's taking a picture of the toilet. And she's flashing it around. She's showing it to him, and I see it. And I'm like, oh, I just saw a picture of a toilet, you know? I'm, I'm obviously too close. We're sitting in those airport chairs, which are always in rows awkwardly so that you're facing other people. But I was on the back end, so I was facing a wall and a water fountain and a couple bathrooms. 
And at one point, he tries, to, uh, he tries to draw me in. Hey, sir, you saw me. I was here. I was trying to clean the bathroom. And I'm like, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. And by that time, I'm just like, I, I just want it to go away. I want to disappear. I kind of glance around, and other people are watching. They're like, how's this going to go? How's this going to end? Now, this is really kind of what we're, we're up against today. This is our text today. Our text is Acts 15, uh, and it's verse 36 through 41. Let's read it. We kind of walk up on one of these situations here. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they were separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. A little odd, isn't it? A little, a little awkward. I mean, we've been going through Acts. We've been seeing all kinds of wonderful things. I mean, the people of God are empowered by the Spirit. They're, they're sent. They're on mission. Paul and Barnabas have, have gone on a missionary trip. It's been successful. They've planted churches. Now they're going back to these churches, or that's the plan, uh, to strengthen them. And, and, and these great things. I mean, Stephen uh, sees Jesus, you know, at the right hand uh, of God, and, and, and great things happen. And then all of a sudden, whoa, two people are having a spat. And it's, and it's Paul and it's Barnabas. A little odd. And, and I think because, of, because it's so odd, and we often don't know what to do with this passage, what happens is it tends to get um, kind of ignored. Sometimes we just pass right over it and just we don't deal with it at all. Um, sometimes it's misused. I think that, that often we want to use it for something and it's just not meant to, to be used for. But it is in the Bible. It is there. Second Timothy says that all Scripture is God-breathed. It's useful to us. It's profitable for teaching, for correction, for training. It's going to help us this morning. It's there for a reason. Luke, inspired by the Spirit, wrote it. And so what we're going to do, though, is we're going to have to approach it by what simply is there in the text. And by what is not there. It's really tempting to read a lot into this passage. What does it not say? It does not say who's right and wrong in this disagreement, this sharp disagreement. And there arose a sharp disagreement. I love that wording, there arose. Have you ever noticed that when you have a disagreement with someone, especially, I don't know, some a lot of us are married, and, and it, isn't it amazing how quickly a sharp disagreement can arise? It just, there it is. You thought everything was going fine. You're in a normal conversation, and then, whoa, it just jumps up and rears its ugly head. Whoa, disagreement. I love the, I love the way that's worded. It really gives us a, a little picture of that. But we're not told who's right. We're not told who's wrong. We're also not uh, pointed in any way in this passage to any kind of doctrinal error. 
This is not a disagreement on the finer points of some, uh, you know, theology or doctrine. Uh, and, and there's a reason for that. It's because it doesn't matter to Luke. Doctrine matters, but n- not in this passage. It's not the message of this passage. Luke does not want us, he's not telling us who's right or who's wrong. Luke is not telling us, uh, you know, who's, who's wiser and who's, who's being foolish in this situation. He's not doing that. That's because it isn't the message. So what does it tell us? Well, it says a few things, but one is we're going to have disagreements. That's clear from this passage. You can, that, that is one of the first things you can draw from it. We're going to have them. Paul and Barnabas are in community with, with each other. They are brothers in Christ. They're living life together on mission. They love each other. They spend a lot of time together. They work together. They are called together. People laid hands on them and sent them. And, and as apostles, they're, they're walking in their, in their gifting and calling uh, to go and plant churches and then to nurture them and see them grow. So they're Christian community. If they're not Christian community, I don't know who is. And yet they have disagreements. And Luke wants us to know that because there it is right smack in the middle of Acts. And so it, it really asks us a question then when we look at this passage, does it have anything to say to us about like how to have disagreements? I mean, how, is there a right way to disagree with each other? We see now it's going to happen. It's clear. Is, it, is there a right way and is there a wrong way? Is there a way we should do this? I'm going to let this passage point us to the gospel, help us run to the good news of Jesus when we're having disagreements, when, not if. So I've kind of put together, well, not put together, but I kind of created a little continuum, like a spectrum, because I know how, how much we like to be pegged down on a, on, a, on a continuum, right? So it's got one end, well, it's got two extremes, one on each end, Okay. And the first one is people who run from conflict. So that's over on one end. So we've got one. See, I picked that orange color. It's supposed to make you feel tense. It's subconsciously making you feel tense. You know, you like that. Run from conflict. We're going to start with people like that. Now, I say people like that. You're probably going to find yourself on both ends uh, of the spectrum. And if you think that you're in the middle, it's not because you're balanced. It's just because you do both. Okay? Everybody's on this. All right? Run from conflict. These are people, I, I find myself on this uh, end a lot, okay? These are people pleasers. Yes men. Sugar coaters. Enablers. When we live on this end of the spectrum, this is what we do. We do it a lot. Because we're running from conflict. We're trying to avoid it. We don't like it. We want it to go away. We think it's not right. We'd rather it never happen. The pain of conflict is never worth to us, when we're on this end, living there, is never worth the benefit of facing the problem or, or, and coming to a resolution and, and working through the pain and discomfort of it. It's not worth it to us. We'd rather just avoid it altogether. There's a movie from the 80s, and it was called Money Pit. And it is, it's, I call it um, Big Hair Hank. 
um, because at this time, um, wait, who's the actor? Hank, 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 Hank. Tom Hanks. Big hair Hanks. Yeah, I was like, what's this guy? I mean, I've watched him all my life. Okay, he's short, he's, he's short hair Hanks now, but back, back then he was poofy hair Hanks, right? Anyway, he's in the 80s. He's, he plays this character where he is buying a house. Well, it turns out to be a money pit. Sucks all the money out of him because it falls apart. But he's going to his brat nephew pop star. He's like a, this rich kid. He's like 14. He goes to him and he needs to borrow $200,000 from him. So he asks him, I need to borrow $200,000 from you. And the kid's like got a robe on because he just got out of the jacuzzi. And he's like, a, his mom is wearing a maid uniform and scrubbing the floor. I mean, that's the scene here. He says, give me $200,000. And the kid says, no. You know, because he's a brat. Tom Hanks says, you will loan me that money. And the kid says, I will not. Tom Hanks says, you will or. And the kid says, or what? And Tom says, or I'll not like you anymore. And the kid goes, okay, I'll loan you the money. Just the pain, the idea of not being liked was worth $200,000 to this kid. Now, obviously, that's exaggerated, but, but not by much. Have you ever avoided anything have you ever traded something that big just to avoid a confrontation, a conflict where you thought there might be some discomfort involved? I know that I've done that a lot. <laughs> now, I, had, I recently had a conversation with uh, a man, who, a brother in Christ, who, who's, who's kind of uh, dealing with this uh, it, really pretty heavily. Um, and, and what was happening was that some things were happening. He really needed to have some conversations with some people. Uh, but, but he was finding that these conversations might be sort of difficult. They might lead to possibly a little bit of conflict, maybe a disagreement. It may be not sharp, but some, some sort of disagreement. And, and he was struggling with, with the idea of doing that. So we started to, together... Uh, look, open the word of God. Look at the gospel and start to peel away some of the layers of that, why this was happening. And, and so we kind of peeled back one layer and realized, well, what was happening was uh, there, there was something that was being avoided and that was the sort of the discomfort of, of conflict. But then underneath that, what we really found was that um, the reason was because he, he sort of felt he needed the, he enjoyed the, enjoys the approval and, and just the, 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 the pleasant feeling of getting along with someone. And that that might be, uh, that might be you know, threatened. Yeah. And, but then as we peeled back a little bit farther, we found that, 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 that sort of these, these expectations, uh, some people were not meeting his expectations. And so he was sort of not approving of, of some performance of theirs. And then we peeled back a little further and found that, that he was feeling he wasn't performing well. And that God was probably disappointed in his performance. In how he was doing with things. And this is layers on, underneath. And, and so at one point I did ask him. I said, if, if God the Father was able to sit down beside you 
And what would he say to you? What would he say sort of over you? You know. And and this young man said, probably say, oh child, oh child. And and you know what? There's there's a little truth to that. Sure. God sees it when we mess up, we trip up, we stumble, we do wrong, he sees it. Uh, and so there's, there's, a, there's a sense of that going on. I mean, it's not hidden from God. He sees everything. But I said, no, ultimately, what is he saying over you? What, what does he say to you? I said, well, he loves me. I said, that's right. That's what he's saying to you. What he's actually saying to you is I am, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. That's what he's saying to you. And we looked at John 17. If you can go ahead and put that up for me. And, and please, if you have your Bibles, please look at this. We, look, we opened the Word and got into John 17, and it says this. Jesus was praying a prayer to his Father in heaven. He said, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one as we are one. In them and you in me. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. You loved them even as you loved me. So in this conversation, I'm saying, listen, you have the love of the Father that the Father has for His Son. It's yours. It's yours. That's amazing. <laughs> that, the glory, it says in 22, that you have given me, I have given to them. That's us. Those of us in Christ. It, he's given it to us. Well, how is that? Well, what we're going to do to kind of, to kind of look into that is look at Matthew 3, 16. This is how. Matthew 3, uh, 16 says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Now, what happens is the spirit comes down. It, it, it describes it as a dove. And then, it, and then it, it rests on Jesus. Now, that's significant because glory is, is always having to do with the weightiness and the presence of God. The, the reality of who God is is what the glory of God is. And, it, and so... Uh, the glory of God rests on Jesus. But we just read in John that the glory you have given me, I have given to them. And what did he say immediately after that is this is my son in whom I am well pleased. So God is not saying his, his ultimate overall statement over you is you are my good and faithful servant. You are my obedient one. You are my son, my daughter, in whom I am well pleased. 
That's why we're baptized into the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Because God is Father. And if God is Father, and any of you who are dads or moms and you're thinking about your children, and you think you love them, do you think you love them more than God loves you? Are we better fathers and mothers than God is to us? We're baptized into the Father because He now sees us as His children and is well pleased with us. Imagine a Christian community, imagine a church, imagine a people who treat each other with the confidence that their identity is in Christ, that their value is in Christ, that their love and affection comes from Him. They don't, no longer do we have to go and reach out to others to try to get approval. I don't have to try to get someone to like me uh, to, to have love and affection because I have the love and the affection of the Father. It's already mine. So now I'm free to treat you with love. I'm free to come to you even, in, even in, in, at the threat of some kind of conflict or, or maybe you won't, heaven forbid, like me anymore. Or maybe we won't be as close or, or, or pally anymore. Maybe, maybe something will be a riff. Oh, no. But see, in Acts 15, 36 through 41, we don't see a picture of that. We see a picture of two men whose confidence is completely rooted in the fact that they are loved by the Father. That they are, and that their Father is, uh, Father God in Christ is, is completely pleased with them and approves of them. They have all the acceptance that they need. So they have a conflict with each other and they don't think they've lost anything. Even to the point where they separate, they decide, you know what, I'll go this way, you go that way. I'll take this guy, you take that guy. And they go. And they're not afraid of losing anything. Imagine if we were that, that kind of people. Would it change how you would treat some people? Would it change uh, some of the things you would say to them? Would it change how you uh, respond when someone sort of confronts you with something? Or comes to you with, with something and, 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 a, and a conflict sort of stirs out of it? If your confidence was completely, so your security and can confidence uh, was, was rooted in the fact that you are deeply loved by your Father in heaven. This, offers an, this is an alternative to what the world has to offer because guess what? In the world, you need people's approval. You need it. You have to have it. Because if you don't, then you kind of disappear into oblivion or, or you're disliked and you don't have, because you, you don't have the acceptance of, a, of an infinitely loving God. You don't, so if you lose it from people, you, you don't have it at all. But in the church, in the Christian community, in the family of God, it's different. We're, we're not afraid of having disagreements because we know that we're loved. So then we have the other end, okay? So we have, remember we have those that, that run from conflict. Now over here we have those that run to it. This one's... now. Listen, I, I've been on this end too. Not as often, but I have. This is where our contrarians live. Hardliners, hypercritics, nitpickers. That's where we live over here. When we're, when we're on this end, we run to conflict. Ooh, we like it. 
We want to stay there. It's, it's fun. Like a little conflict. We prefer it to, uh, you know, peacefulness. Why? Well, you know, there's a time for that. For that. I mean, there's a time to be a contrarian. There's a time to be a hardliner. There's a time. I'm, I'm, Jesus was. So it's not so much, uh, can, is there ever a time? Yeah, there is. It's more, what is the motivation? What is it that we're really seeking when we become that person who runs to conflict, looks for it? Well, it's because we want to be right. We like being right. Being right feels good. Being right is most important. Being right is more important than being in right relationship with us or with God. And the Bible calls that self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is when we're trying to be righteous all by ourselves. And we do that, don't we? When we're running the conflict to be righteous, then we are self-righteous. What we're doing then is it's an attempt to justify ourselves before God and to us. I feel like we're justified to even exist. We need to feel that justification. We think we do. Have you ever argued <laughs> with a point that you didn't agree with? Now, I know, like, when I was in college, we had to do that. You'd have to write, like, a paper arguing a point I didn't even agree with. But sometimes what we do is we, we, we'll, we'll argue with someone, and we don't even agree with our own argument, but boy, we're winning the argument, so it feels so good. I love, I love that feeling. So my grandma used to tell me that I would argue with a signpost. And I think what she meant was, I don't know, like you're, you're, you're driving into town and it says, you know, you're entering, entering uh, Knoxville city limits, and I'm like, no, I'm not, you know. I don't care what the sign says. I, I would do that. I've even had arguments. I, I, when I was young, I'd have arguments with myself in the mirror, just in case, like, just preparing, just in case I ever had an argument with someone. <laughs> no, it's weird, but my mom reminded me of that. Yeah, I just went to visit her last week. So, uh, anyway, evidently, I, I, I love being, I, I, I spend a lot of time running the conflict. You know, I've done that. And you know what? It's hurt a lot of my relationships. It's hurt people. Uh, it, because my desire to be right was more important than my desire to be in a right relationship with them. I loved me being right more than I loved them. There was one, uh, there is recently just one kind of instance where, uh, by the grace of God, I was able to lay that down. I kind of want to share that with you instead of all the bad stuff. I'll share this good thing. Maybe paint me in a good, I'll sugarcoat me. There, see? Um, so, but, but what it was is there's a man in my life, um, and he, he was a, he, he's an influential man, especially in the areas of discipleship and in, and in uh, my Christian walk, my marriage, my family, uh, ministry. Uh, it's no one you know, so don't try to figure out who it is. Uh, but um, this man was giving me a gift, a monetary gift. And it was a recurring monetary gift. And it was a real blessing. It was coming at a time when I, uh, my family really needed it. Every time. 
I had taken that. Man, we really needed that. But I didn't ever really thank him very well. Not directly. There was, I, I kind of indirectly thanked him for the gift a couple of times. But there wasn't any, uh, any correspondence where I reached out to him, because there are miles between us, where I reached out to him and, and, and said, thank you. I needed that. I've needed it every time. And so I began to be convicted by the Holy Spirit that I needed uh, to do this. I needed to pick up the phone, and I needed to call him, and I needed to thank him for the gift. And that I needed to be the one to reach out. But as I was discussing this with people who uh, kind of know the situation, I got mixed signals. Some people were like, yeah, sounds great. Some people were like, no, listen, I don't know if I would do that. I don't know if I would open that can of worms. See, here's the deal. You're not completely wrong, I would hear. And he's not completely right. Because, see, there were other disagreements going on there. That wasn't the only one. But that was the one I was convicted by the Spirit that I needed to do something about. And so questions came up in my mind. Will I, by approaching this man and apologizing for the sin that I committed, Will I be admitting to committing the other things that I was sort of being accused of but weren't true? And so that was a little bit of a fear. I would be seen as not right. And that this is sort of, uh, you know, beef up the case against me. But you know what? There's only one who's right. I did do it, by the way. There's only one who's right. His name is Jesus. He's right. He's the right one. Look at Romans 3.23. If you have your Bibles, I would like you to look at this one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus who God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Propitiation. God is completely satisfied by the work at the cross. To be received by faith, can't earn it. This was to show God's righteousness. Jesus, the righteous one. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins, It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Jesus is the righteous one. Jesus is. We are not. But his righteousness is imputed to us. It's a weird word, impute. It just means counted toward our account. That's what it is. All of it. An infinite God's righteousness uh, evidenced and proven through His Son is now counted toward us. That means that account never runs out. God's an infinite God. By definition, He's infinite. Can His account of anything ever run out? No, only a finite thing can be exhausted. Not an infinite thing. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, 
he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So it's kind of a weird thing. We're not righteous, but we are. Really what it means is we're not, we can't justify ourselves. We can't make ourselves righteous. I don't care if you win the argument. It doesn't matter if you're right. That, doesn't, that does not make you righteous. Only one is righteous. Imagine a Christian community, a family of God, a church, who was willing to approach each other in relationship and move into relationship with one another without the fear of having to be right. Wouldn't that be cool? I know we get little glimpses of that, but imagine that if that was the life, if that was our life, if that is what we knew, that whenever I approach someone and and, and maybe in disagreement, because that's the context we're in right now. I don't agree with you. And you don't agree with me. But you know what? I don't need to be right right now. Because only one is right. So what I can do is I can rest in the fact that I am the righteousness of God through Christ. And I can allow you to think you're right if you do. I can love you anyway, and because guess what? I might not be right. I might be wrong. Has any, anybody in here ever, ever changed their mind about anything? Like after five, ten years, two years, next month? Isn't it funny how we can just be so sure we're right about something, and then five years later, we've changed our mind? Listen, that's, I'm, I'm standing here telling you that has happened to me over and over and over again in the last, even as, as recently as the last 10 years. I mean, to me, 10 years is not that long. I'm 44, so. But as recently as that, I've changed my mind completely. Not about uh, who Jesus is, not about the, the, the person of Jesus Christ and the character of Jesus and and, and who God is. Not about that, but about all these other disputable things. You see, Paul and Barnabas didn't separate because of one of those issues. It basically came down to one man thought it'd be best to do one thing. The other man thought it'd be best not to. That's it. And they never fully agreed on that. Although we do in Second uh, Timothy at the end of that chapter find that Paul asked Timothy to bring Mark the guy who, he said, I don't want him coming with us. Bring Mark with you, he said, because he is useful to me. So see, there's no resentment. There's no contention. Paul continues to respect Barnabas. Luke decides to follow Paul's ministry, not Barnabas's, but that doesn't mean Barnabas didn't have one. In fact, he did. <clears throat> he took someone with him, took Mark with him, and they went back, and they did the very thing that God had called them to do. Their disagreement didn't change any of that. These are two men who, who had the confidence in not their own righteousness, but the righteousness of the one that they were preaching. And the gospel that they were sharing applied to them as well. Imagine us, a, a family that is like that. You know, it'd be a lot easier for us to get through these conflicts that we have, wouldn't it? Just to face them head on. Trust in God's sovereignty. 
He's in control. Nothing rises and falls on whether or not we agree with each other. It rises and falls on the work of Jesus at the cross and the work of the Holy Spirit through us. I'd like you to look at... um, Oh, no, don't look at it. I'm just going to read it uh, because it's not on the screen. Sorry. Uh, but I'm going I'm to read 1 Corinthians uh, 13, 4 through 5. It says, um, yeah, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 5. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. I, th- I think it's interesting that it says does not insist on its own way. You know, to make that statement, you have to assume that we have a way to insist upon, don't we? God doesn't deny that. Luke doesn't deny that. The message of Acts is not that we should all have the same thoughts, that we should never disagree. That's not the message. The message is that we will disagree. But when we do... We shouldn't insist on our own way. So whose way should we insist on? We should insist on the only way that's right. And that is by the one, the only one who's right. So when the world sees a Christian community like this, when they see us, then they see an alternative to what they're used to. And maybe you're here this morning and you're, you, you're not a Christian. Maybe... Maybe you're like, well, I'm that, I, I am that world, so to speak. Well, this is the alternative. See, in the world, you, it, being right is really important. Just watch, you know, TV. You see celebrities, when they, they get in trouble, the first thing they do is they try to justify themselves, justify their actions. They, they, we've just got to do that so that we can just sort of earn our keep or earn the right to kind of exist, you know. That's, that's necessary if you're in the world, but it's not necessary if you're in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're the righteousness of God in Him. And so, all the, so when you do good, when you do well, it's the good works that He's prepared for you in advance that you should walk in them. So instead of people scrambling around, you know, to, to try to justify themselves, the world would see a people completely confident in the righteousness that they have in Christ. The message of Acts 15, 36 uh, through 41 is that God is righteous and God is sovereign. He's righteous and he's sovereign. He's righteous through his his son, Jesus Christ. He's proven that he is just. He's completely satisfied. Jesus took all of the wrath. And so God is righteous completely. God is also sovereign. He will build his church. He will do his work in the earth. He will do it through us, his church, He'll do it through weak vessels. He will do it. We will not do it alone. And if Acts says anything, it says that we need the Spirit of God. We're sent by the Spirit. The worship team might want to kind of mosey on up here. So we can rest. That doesn't mean we don't work. It's it's the kind of rest we're even in our work, in our labor. Because sometimes conflict is work, isn't it? It feels hard when we approach each other and we're going to have to work through something hard. It's work, yeah. But in Christ, it's also rest because we can rest in His work. So instead of running from conflict, 
to safety, we run to Him for safety. Instead of running to conflict for safety and for security and for uh, validation, we run to Christ. We run to Jesus for those things. Because He'll build His church and He'll use us to do it and we'll exist to point to Him. 